Um, so just in case you didn't hear the question, I'll kind of reframe it, rephrase it a little bit. Um, so looking at um, uh, strong continuity of mindfulness at some point, noticing that there was some tension and tightness in the head. So um, trying to relax that into day with the working with the, or noticing the uh, five faculties, the balance between energy and concentration, um, that she was moving more towards relaxation, which sounds skillful in that it sounds like there may have been a little over-efforting in the uh, doing, in a a sort of a doing of the continuity. And so it's always helpful to say back off, you know, back off a little bit. So it sounds like it started moving more into the concentration, which led to a a little bit of an imbalance between energy and concentration leading into hypnagogic states. And um, she was playing with um, letting herself go into that state and observe. Uh, And you said you could see whether they were aversive or greedy kind of um, images or states. Um, And is that okay or should, should... she, she should she be doing something to actually brighten the mind to change the state of the mind out of that hypnagogic state um, my um general personal exploration around this is when i'm coming out of a place where there's a, a fairly good amount of continuity and, uh, you know, a fairly steady and stable practice. Um, if I move towards sleepiness, my uh, investigation or my interest becomes, what is this sleepiness, as opposed to doing something to, to brighten the mind. The very investigation or interest in that gives you a little bit of energy. Uh, it It may be able to keep you out of sleep, and it sounds like it kept you in that kind of hypnagogic state at which place you were able to recognize greed or aversion in those states. Would you say there was a fair amount of uh, awareness in that? Um, I'd say just a little spark because it, it felt, you know, my mind just didn't want to seem to, it didn't want to latch on to anything. And so it almost felt a little bored. Um, so... So notice the disinterest. (laughs) Disinterest is happening right now. The mind is not wanting to go to objects right now. Low energy is happening right now. Uh, At one point I was was working with low energy a lot um, on one retreat. And I was originally, you know, Something, some part of my mind was acknowledging as, yeah, the mind's really dull. And I was able to be with that dullness. And, you know, it wasn't particularly, didn't feel particularly like a problem. Didn't feel like there were any, you know, what was didn't feel like there's a particular attitude around it. And yet at some point I recognized that the very impression of it as dullness contained an inherent judgment. And um, and when I noticed that judgment, it's like, oh, energy's low right now. You know, the mind the, the mind is tired right now, <laughs> and w- with that, the mind could very easily be recognizing that low energy state, just knowing, oh, low energy. You know, 
rather, there was a subtle, it sounds like, thinking you needed to connect with an object. No, I I saw that I didn't want to connect with an object, and I sort of accepted that as part of the the little bit of concentration that was going on. Uh Yes. Okay. So, so in that place, you can just notice, you know, the low energy, the state of not wanting to connect with objects. You can just notice that. So, again, if possible, one of the one of let me follow on a little bit. So, I, I started this by saying, if the mind has been a re- in a relatively stable state when you start going into sleepiness, for my in my perspective, I start by seeing if I can meet the actual state that's happening, getting curious about that actual state. Uh, Not my ideas about it, but what is the actual state. That will often be enough to keep me present, and um, there's no need to do anything more to brighten the mind in any way, That, that that interest actually does the work of that. You just get getting interested in that. What I found in my own experience is that if I try to do more in a, in a place where the mind has been relatively stable, relatively balanced, if I try to do more, like, oh, I need to brighten the mind, it's like, it's so easy to spin your mind out into restlessness. Um, yesterday in one of the groups somebody gave the analogy of the concentration being like going really fast in a car and then little if you're if you're trying to make adjustments there you know very small movements of the steering wheel can send you into the you know into the into the barrier and you can crash and burn (laughs) So, so um you know so that's kind of like our doing are adding things. So when the mind is relatively stable, even if it veers into sleepiness, you know, if it's, if it's in sleepiness because um, you've kind of been spacing out and not engaging in practice, you know, then it may be, you know, do some action, take some action to brighten the mind. But if it's coming out of a place where there's been a fair amount of concentration, small, small adjustments. And in my own experience, the smallest adjustment is generally notice this, you know, get interested in this, whatever's happening here, get interested in that. doing and 
how I was doing it, and um, that I was very, I won't say careful, because uh, I, I, I was, well, I should say careful. I was very careful about where I was placing my hands as I was cutting and when to move them. Um, and I was aware of this, some intelligence like that tree, knowing how to grow. Um, um, and I also knew that if I spent any time at all directing my activity, I'd cut myself, I'd, <laughs> I'd slip. I just, uh, I was essentially crippled. Um, so I was aware, but the awareness left out um, a lot of things. Didn't include a lot of things like what I was doing with my hands. Mm -hmm. um, but they were acting with a, some kind of intelligence, not mine, but intelligence. Um, earlier today, I was sitting and had just thoughts were appearing, coming and going, and I realized they were really superficial, and underneath there was an awareness that was much deeper. Uh, and much more primal, I think, would be the word. But I couldn't tap into it or touch it. I didn't really know what that what that was. It was a little bit like both of both experiences. A little bit like a Fellini movie. The, the the sequences didn't make sense, but the overall tone, feeling, um, whatever was coherent. about how to a, a frame the question. It, it obviously, um, it's, um, there's a, it's about awareness. Um, uh, uh, but I'm not sure what I'm looking at, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling. Okay, so um, the, the question about... I mean, the first question... Or, let's see, so let me just state the two questions. So I help me remember them, or the two aspects help me remember... Um, in chopping vegetables, noticing that you were quite aware, but there was a lot that you weren't consciously controlling, essentially, you know, like where you're placing your hands doing the chopping, but you were actually aware of quite a bit of the unfolding of the of the experience, but just like realizing you weren't directing, that there's some other kind of intelligence in a way directing the, the actual quick chopping. And then um, later noticing some kind of deeper, perhaps, uncertainty or something, some kind of awareness where you weren't really sure of what you were aware of, but you knew that you were aware. Um, and you're not really sure what the question is, but maybe can I say something about it? Does that summarize? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so the, um, you know, that I think... The um, thank goodness, thank goodness, we we don't have to control our minds and bodies because it's really complicated what the <laughs> what the mind knows how to do. I mean, there's there's so many things that our uh, our mind and body takes care of. You know, pumping our blood and um, you know sloughing off cells and beating our heart and you know if we had to do all of that 
you know, we, we just wouldn't know how to do it. So there's, there's a lot of things that go on in our experience, you know, some below the level of conscious choice. I mean, you know, breathing is kind of an interesting one because it's kind of in the realm of it'll happen automatically if we're not paying attention, but we can control it. Um, so there's, there's kind of a range of that uh, activity in our minds and bodies, some of which is out of our control entirely. It's part of the, well, maybe not entirely. I mean, I hear uh, so certain monks who've practiced a lot of concentration or certain people who've practiced a lot of concentration can control, you know, the, reduce their body temperature or slow their heart rate down or, you know, so maybe it's not so out of control, but takes a fair amount of concentration. So, but let's say for most of us, a lot of the kind of workings of our body are out of our control. Um, and then there's some that are possibly in our control, but, um, you know, the way our mind and bodies learn, like we learn how to do things. We practice things over and over again. Um, you know, if, if, if uh, Kobe Bryant had to think about every single movement in his body as he went to take a shot in the basketball, you know, it's like, it would never work. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a kind of a, a training of the body that happens that we can allow to unfold, you know, we, we kind of enter a place where we allow the intuitive knowledge of the body to take over. So it's not within our conscious control. And in fact, um, sometimes helpful to recognize it's not in our conscious control, but we can, we can see it unfold. We can watch it unfold, but, um, uh, but not really be in charge of the, all the steps. Um, there have been a few times in my, in my practice where I've actually gotten to a place of continuity where I could see little tiny choices happening in just ordinary movement, like taking a step, taking a step to um, turn around and then sit down. I, it was like the, the mind could see every single little choice that was made along that process. And, and it didn't get in the way to see that every single choice that was made. It wasn't that I was consciously making every single choice, but I could see there were these like this unraveling or un unwinding of choices or dominoes falling of choices that can, it's seeing that it was all conditioned unfolding. So it is possible at times of continuity to actually witness that process at a very deep level. You know, I've experienced that maybe two or three times in my, you know, in my um, meditative, in, in my time of meditation. So I would say it's, you know, it's not that, that common to be able to see that takes a fair amount of concentration. On one long retreat, um, I was in Burma practicing with Saito Ujanika, and he had been directing us to pay attention to our intentions. So before we move, notice the intention to, to move. And you can see that, you know, you can notice before you move that you are going to move. You can see that kind of intentionality. Um, and that's kind of what I was talking about, having seen um, unfolding very quickly. And, you know, so I began reporting that I was seeing, you know, intention before quite a bit of movement. And 
Um, and he sort of sternly said to me, are you seeing every intention before every action? And I said, no, <laughs> no, no, I know I'm not seeing that. And he, he just kind of laughed. I think he was like maybe almost trying to, I don't know, trap me or, or fool me or something. But he, he laughed and he said, nobody can see all of that. Now, I, I can't see all of that. So um, um, partly what we see as we get to, as the closer we get, the more we see our intentions, we see it's vast. There's no way to see them all in a way. So um, yes, we can see, we can witness the unfolding of our um, our activities. We can get closer to seeing, you know, the choices that are made. But in terms of directing every single choice, choosing at each mind moment the intention and changing it, you know, I don't think that's, I don't think that's possible in, in you know, given the, the rapidity of, you know, even that little movement that I made there, there were, there were probably millions of intentions involved in my doing that. So, yes, that, that, um, in some ways, I think what you saw and maybe appreciated a little bit there was the kind of amazing power of the body to do its thing. You know, you didn't have to decide every single move. You, you, made, you made some choices initially about how to hold the vegetable, how to place your hands, maybe how to hold the knife. And then let the process unfold. You know, you've, you've held knives before, you've worked with them before, kind of a, an intuitive sense the body has about what it can do. You know, that, that, that training of using knives <laughs> was um, manifesting in that time. Um, so then the, the other one around kind of seeing that there's something happening that you're aware of, but not at all clear what it is that you're aware of. I find that the more uh, the mind settles, the, the, the more the mind gets um, able to just meet whatever's happening, and the more concentration, more stability, more continuity, we start to um, move into terrain that's very unfamiliar. Um, so at, at first when we move into that terrain, sometimes the, the perceptual process can kind of get nut, go nuts. It's like, what is this? What is this? What is this? The, the, the perception wants to recognize things and um, it can kind of be forceful about trying to figure out what that is. And sometimes the mind will produce kind of weird images around it. Um, you know, you've got this experience and the mind will produce an image of a, a field of, tr- of, of waving grass. And then it'll like decide, no, no, that's not it. I'll try something else, some other image. Um, you know, maybe that's the Fellini-like things that your mind was doing there, you know, kind of trying on. It's like that's perception, trying to figure out <laughs> something that this is, you know, trying to identify it or... or um, recognize it in perception that that's kind of what I'm 
inferring there. I don't know what was happening, but that kind of may be in the terrain of what was happening. Your perceptual process was trying to figure it out, and it was producing some strange uh, experiences or images. Um, Fellini-like, maybe. (laughs) Um, And so when odd states come up at this point, for me, it's like, okay, this one's unfamiliar. You know, can I just hang out with it? Sometimes we can't just hang out. Perception is so insistent. It's like perception will go, okay, what's this part of it? Oh, oh, what's this part of it? And then we just watch perception trying to do its thing. And potentially... Uh, that there's some greed in that, you know, propelling perception. You know, the greed is saying, uh, or or perhaps a little fear. You know, I don't like not knowing what's happening. Got to figure it out. Um, so just just knowing that the more we settle, different states of consciousness will happen. Different uh, experiences will happen, and some of them will be unfamiliar. So it, we don't have to, um, just to, to, rec- to, to know that's normal and um, to neither uh, jump onto it thinking, oh, this is so special, um, nor to, to think, oh, this is really bad, I should not know what's happening, but just, oh, okay, this is unfamiliar, unfamiliar is happening, and just see if you can rest in the, the 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 kind of discomfort that happens when the mind doesn't know. You know, the mind is not familiar with this, and it you know okay. There's there's the unfamiliarity, and then there's the relationship to it, which is this is uncomfortable. I don't like that. So there's the unfamiliar, and then there's the uncomfortable. So okay, uncomfortable is happening around this unfamiliar state. Does that speak to? I mean, do, do I, does it feel like I'm in the terrain of what... Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I had a, uh, a thought while I was sitting this morning it has to do with the notion of uh, wholesome desires. And so I was reminded of this portion in the book, or one of the books by Tejaniya, where he talks about um, eating, and he says that something like um, eating is not about So we we are going to have mixed motivations. I'd say for all for for most of us, um, probably all of us, for the rest of our lives. Um, so yes, there will be both the motivation to um, eat in a healthy way, in a wholesome way. And um, there will probably be some, a little greed there. You know, the the liking itself, um, 
Just notice that liking is happening. Notice that enjoyment is happening. You know, the, that, that, that um, we are not going to be able to, in living our lives, most likely not going to be able to banish all unwholesome motivations. You know, it's, they're, they're going to happen. And so the encouragement here is to notice what's going on. Now, in that situation, it doesn't sound so much like you're noticing greed, you're noticing liking. So notice that, right? Yeah, so you don't have to, like, go into your mind and say, oh, liking is happening, there must be greed happening, where's the greed, how can I get rid of the greed, maybe I should stop eating altogether. You know, um, just notice that liking is happening while you're eating. No, I'm not I'm not actually saying that. I think liking liking has perhaps I mean liking I think does have an inherent perhaps very subtle form of greed. That it inherently the the liking we are not completely in balance. You know, there's a little bit of a ooh, yeah, ooh. The level of greed there may be subtle enough to not be clearly obvious. And so the practice is to notice the liking. That's what's clear. The liking is clear. Over time, in noticing liking, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of... Um, our, practice, our practice unfolds kind of in a staged way. You know, we... We, we learn about the grosser, more obvious forms of suffering in our minds. You know, the, the ones that, like, we explode in anger and, you know, feel the heat and the pressure and, and the, the suffering of that. Uh, we feel the, the greed of, you know, wanting to have, you know, a good sitting. You know, we feel, we feel the pain of that. The... Um, the grosser kinds of um, defilements obviously produce suffering. The subtler kinds of defilements tend to produce um, kind of subtler states of mind. I mean, not maybe not subtler states of mind, but um, the subtler defilements produce states that they're not quite like we're spinning way out, you know, towards aversion or greed in the, in the extreme forms. But yeah, ooh, like that. Mm-hmm. Don't like that. You know, so it's, it's, more, it's more, it's closer to balance, but it's um, still got some of that flavor of leaning preference. When we're not experiencing the suffering of that, like enjoyment, for instance. You know, enjoyment, um, there's quite a bit of pleasure in enjoyment. There's quite a bit of pleasure in liking. The Buddha's instructions on this, I actually think, are brilliant. He says, yes, sense pleasure will bring delight. It will bring happiness. He said, notice that happiness. And the next part of the instruction is really what, what supports us to understanding it is 
Notice just how far that gratification extends. And I think you mentioned this earlier, you know, the in in the group we had, you know, that there was just, you know, like three seconds maybe of sense pleasure around the the food, you know. Wow, you know, so there's the liking of the food, but how long does that actually last, you know? So, um, so we explore the pleasure we get out of our activities. We don't try to stop it. We explore it. And over time, we may start to um, see and recognize that it's, you know, that that liking, that um, inclining towards the food, yeah, it provides some kind of sense pleasure. But actually, there's a deeper pleasure in just being aware of the processes of mind and body unfolding. And so we, um, our, our interest in... Um, Uh, where happiness comes from begins to shift from ordinary kinds of sense pleasure to more the pleasure, the happiness around being aware, the recognition of the happiness of a mind that's in balance. And that allows us to begin to let go of, of clinging that we might have to happiness around uh, our sense pleasures. So we don't have to artificially, I mean, I think it's really, um, it's kind of a mistaken notion in a way, and it's something I've seen a lot that, you know, people say, well, I like this, and, you know, in Utejaniya's book, it's like, yeah, if you like walking in the woods, there's greed. So, well, it's there, but he also doesn't say stop walking in the woods, he said, notice the liking, notice the enjoyment, you may, in exploring that enjoyment, find that there's a little bit of what that enjoyment, that enjoyment may be partly around being receptive and present in the moment. So some of that enjoyment might actually come from being here and now. And other of that enjoyment might be coming out of, oh, look at that flower. Isn't that, wow, look at, let me see that. Let me get in closer. And we might, begin to experience the suffering of the being pulled around to, oh, look, I mean, it's kind of the greed of, oh, let me look at this. It's like we, we want to take everything in and see everything. Um, and there's a little bit of suffering in the agitation of mind that's kind of going out to find sense pleasure and happiness. So in the exploring of the liking and the enjoyment, you may find some of it that is connected to wholesome. And some of it is, is kind of a result, in fact, of, you know, like, just, there, there is a pleasure of um, the awareness itself. And the Buddha um, talked about uh, the ending of suffering as both neutral and really pleasant. That the, the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion 
is sometimes defined as mahasuka, you know, the greatest pleasure. So, you know, uh, investigate the liking. There probably is some greed in there, but don't like have a, a sense of, I need to stop that liking. The, 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 the letting go, the abandoning happens from the understanding. So understand the liking. I think there's a distinction. So Vedana is the um, um, the Pali term for feeling, which is this, uh, both, as I talked about yesterday, the process that feels, the process that knows feeling, and the result of that process, which is whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral... Um, things will be pleasant, unpleasant. I mean, there will be pleasant, unpleasant, neutral happening. We tend to like the pleasant. We tend to not like the unpleasant. So the liking and not liking is kind of like a close, uh, just a, a subtle kind of leaning towards or away towards pleasant, away from unpleasant, and then uh, and then it moves to full out greed, wanting. You know the, the the preferences. You know there can be a very subtle form of greed in there, but the preferences often the preferences are felt as, yeah, I'd like that, I'd prefer that, but you know it's okay if it doesn't happen. You know so so there's that that recognition of of it it being a leaning, but not so far that we get angry if we don't get there. So it's, it's a subtler form of moving out from the balanced place. And it's, you know, just, just helpful to recognize it. Okay, liking is happening. I mean, so helpful, you know, especially for me around pain. It's like, oh yeah, there's pain. And, you know, often it's, I, I check in and let's say, oh, not liking. Okay, yep, not liking's happening. And if it's, it's a subtle enough kind of thing that, you know, that preference itself is distinct from the pain. You know, the preference to not have that pain is distinct from the pain. But the acknowledgement of, oh yeah, not liking is happening, seems to ease the whole mind and body around the entire experience. It's like, yeah, there's pain and I don't like it. Okay, I can be okay with that.
So, um, um, that, that description, I mean, that, that I, I think I've seen some things like that, um, you know, I, I, did I, I don't think I described this in, in the hall. I'll give this example to, to kind of put something concrete to what you described. Um, so this it kind of unwound backwards in a way, you know, which is, I think, often how we see processes like this at play, you know, that, that first we start seeing the reactivity and then we kind of work our way in. Um, so I was sitting kind of in the middle of the night. Uh, I had woken up and, and was um, having some insomnia and I just got up and started sitting in the middle of the night. And while I was sitting, I noticed... Um, this this sound arising. It's a really subtle scratching sound arising. It's really quiet, you know. Subtle kind of scratching like that. And the experience was felt as unpleasant. That was my initial experience, was that it was unpleasant. And so, you know, it would come and go, and so uh, I would just be with, notice, what was going on, and then the scratching would come back, and I'd notice the unpleasantness. And at some point in that um, uh, process, I began to recognize that um, when the scratching happened, there was a tensing in the body. And the tensing was definitely unpleasant. So there was that, you know, so, so that was also there. And so again, keeping watching, you know, um, and at some point in this observation, seeing the tension arise with the scratching, I felt, felt this subtle flash of fear with the uh, sound of the scratching. And that fear, the fear was definitely unpleasant. The fear was clearly unpleasant. And um, then, you know, just continuing to observe the fear having been kind of unmasked at that point, because it's like it was, it, was, it was buried in a way. The fear, I think, had been there, but it wasn't conscious. The, the experience was just simply, oh, that's an unpleasant sound. You know, initially, it was, that's an unpleasant sound. And so I, I saw, actually, that there was fear there. And then the next time the scratching sound came up, I recognized that the scratching sound itself was neutral that the fear had informed the interpretation of it as being unpleasant. And so I saw that, you know, well, the fear, the fear was, the, that fear, that feeling of fear was unpleasant. Um, but that it, it was so interesting to see how the, the defilement informed the sense, the Vedna of that sense object. And then seeing the defilement it took the Vedana out of that, it took that feeling out of that sense object. So that's the kind of exploration we can make around feeling. And this is part of what 
I think Sairam means by observing the process of feeling. How is feeling created? Um, one additional point from the Abhidhamma. Mm, is it the Abhidhamma or is it the Visuddhimagga? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, I think it's the Abhidhamma. That from the, uh, what the Abhidhamma teaches is that the um, (coughs) sense impressions on the body, physical contact on the body, will be either pleasant or unpleasant. Inherently, it will be either pleasant or unpleasant. That that will that that will be the contact will be either pleasant or unpleasant, not neutral. That that there is no neutral vedana in body contact. This is this is what I understand from the Abhidhamma. All the other sense bases, sight, sound, smell, taste, the, the physical sense bases, all those other physical sense bases, inherently the contact in those when there's contact with those sense bases, so sight sound, smell, inherently the contact is neutral. And any sense of um, pleasant or unpleasant is created by some kind of defilement. Um, That, I I don't know if I really believe that. Um, You know, I... I, um, well, so for sight, I think, I, 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 I take it for sight. To me, it's like clear for sight. It's like, you know, what's actually coming in the eye is form and color, you know? It's completely neutral. Perception puts on some interpretation of that form and color, creates, creates people, creates um, men and women, creates specific men and women, uh, creates all the, and then, and then the, the, uh, papancha and our uh, ideas start creating, well, these people I like, these people I don't like. All this happens in a split second and we see somebody and we might experience unpleasant or we might experience pleasant. That's all happening out of the constructs of meeting the experience. Uh, the, you know, the interpretation, the perception and the uh, ideas and mental formations at play around what we're taking in through our senses. So for sight, I completely buy it. For taste, I'm not so sure um, whether, you know, there's certain tastes I know that when they go in the mouth, the the, the body gags. And, you know, it's like, is that a protective mechanism for the body? I don't know. So, you know, I, when I hear teachings like that, I like to hold them, well, that's an interesting teaching. Let's look at it. You know, and I've actually found using that as an exploration to be really interesting. Um, to, to, you know, that if I see something and there's pleasant there, to, to begin to say, oh, you know, to just recognize, oh, you know, is there some idea happening here? Is there something else happening that I'm not aware of? Is there some agenda or perspective or belief? This is a good thing, flower. You know, it's a good thing, 
you know, pleasant? Is there some belief along those lines that's informing whether things are taken as pleasant or unpleasant? Um, my understanding, I, I'm not as clear on this from the Abhidhamma, but my understanding is that there is um, mental pleasant, unpleasant, like happiness uh, is inherently pleasant, um, dukkha may be inherently unpleasant. I don't know about that part, um, you know, whether that contact with that, you know, kind of like the, the body. You know, the body is really designed to uh, experience pleasant and unpleasant. In fact, if our senses don't um, experience pleasant and unpleasant, if they don't experience pain, if the pain receptors are gone from our senses, um, that's that's what happens with Hansen's disease. And the, the, the body begins to rot because without the pain sensitivity, the the mind can't know how to take care of the body. So it's kind of an inherent thing in the body, the pleasant-unpleasant um, aspect of it. So thank you for that. So let's settle into just being with what's happening in this moment. Noticing if there's been some impact of hearing the words, listening, engaging your thoughts. Often that brings up the energy in the body a little bit, so you might be experiencing some kind of energy. Whatever your experience is, it's okay. Recognizing the awareness. And what is already known? We don't have to go out and find anything. There's already knowing happening. 